<clears throat> I'll extend a very warm welcome to everybody this morning uh, to this communion service morning and uh, also those who might be joining with us online. We pray that the Lord will bless our service together. And we're going to begin by singing to his praise in Psalm 26 and uh, we sing verses 1 to 8. This is in Sing Psalms, Psalm 26, 1 to 8. <clears throat> Declare me innocent, O Lord, I've walked in blameless ways, and I have trusted in the Lord, not wavering all my days. Test me, O Lord, and try my heart, my inmost thoughts survey. Your love surrounds me from your truth, my feet will never stray. I do not sit with worthless folk, I shun the hypocrite. I hate the wicked's gatherings, with them I will not sit. I wash my hands in innocence, and blameless is my heart. I go about your altar, Lord, the place you set apart. Verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 26. Declare me innocent, O Lord.
bow in prayer. Lord our God, we again thank you for today. We give thanks, Lord, for this morning and uh, for being able to sing your praise. Wonderful to hear your people uh, proclaiming aloud the song, the, the great sense of joy within our heart, the great sense of adoration of our God. And we give thanks, O oh Lord, that we are found here. Lord, we give thanks that when we realize there are so many people who never think of coming to your house, that we do. And we do because you have drawn us here. You do so because we have been brought to see that you are God, you are Lord, you are King, that you rule, <coughs> that you rule over all. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will bless us. Bless us with spiritual and temporal blessings. We give thanks, Lord, that you are patient with us. <coughs> when we look at ourselves and we see just what we are before you, it amazes us at times of your long-suffering and your patience with us. If we treated one another the way that we treat you, I'm sure that they would have been given up long ago. But, Lord, you stick with us. Your love is past finding out. It's a love that transcends anything that we can understand. We catch a glimpse of that love on the cross, what we're remembering today. And we give thanks, Lord, for the death of our Saviour. And today we give thanks for the resurrection of our Saviour. And we give thanks that our Saviour is seated on the right hand of glory. And that he's coming again. O oh Lord, we give thanks that you're coming again. Because this world is out of control. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will indeed rule and display your rule. And although we say the world is out of control, we know that there is nothing out of your control. And that you are in control in the destiny of all things. And so we pray that we might have the faith to see beyond the here and now. We live in this time, this is our age to live in, and we pray that we might walk well and might walk worthy of the high calling to which we've been called. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless this congregation, be with Fahi and Gret and the family. Ask, Lord, that you will bless them, bless them richly in every aspect of their lives. Pray to bless the office bearers here, and we give thanks for them and uh, for their faithful service here as well. We give thanks, Lord, for this congregation and its witness and testimony in this community. We give thanks, Lord, who we see today, this morning, just a full church here. And it does our heart good and to see so many young people. And we know that there are congregations that there aren't young. And that is difficult. It's difficult for a congregation to see that there, there aren't young coming behind. But, Lord, what a blessing to see so many young here and pray that you will bless them. Bless them as they grow up in a very difficult society, that difficult age. Protect them. Give wisdom to parents who are seeking to lead them and instruct them in the right way. Lord, may we always have the freedom to teach in the right way. Grant us the grace, Lord, and grant us the freedoms that, that we have. Do not allow encroachment upon uh, our service and upon the Christian freedoms that we have anymore because we know there are forces about that are seeking to remove and obliterate the Christian faith uh, from our land. Lord, as David prayed, turn the counsel of a hitiful to foolishness. And likewise we pray 
that uh, those that this council that is seeking to undermine and to destroy the cause of Christ that that council will also be turned to foolishness Lord of God we pray to bless bless your people bless your people who stand on the side of truth and here we remember uh, Kate Falls we bring her to your care protector we pray and despite any political allegiance that people may have we give thanks for her and we give thanks O Lord for her faithfulness to you and we pray that you'll protect her when we know that knives are out and that she will know the protection of God that she will know your blessing upon her watch over her and family Lord of God we pray for all such all who stand for you and it's a difficult day Lord we pray that you'll watch over them we pray for all our leadership at Westminster and Holyrood and in our local councils grant them wisdom and understanding and we pray, Lord, that you will lead us, oh, protect us as a nation. Pray for all the nations of this world, and where there's so much heartache. We again remember Turkey and Syria, and uh, again it is a reminder to us as the end times comes that there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Indeed, when we look at our news screens, we see the fulfillment of these prophecies. Uh, coming to pass but Lord in the midst of it we pray that you will have, be, have mercy that you will provide the needed shelter the needed food the needed water the basic necessities of life and oh Lord we pray for all the areas of this world where people are persecuted especially those who are persecuted for their faith Lord we pray then that you'll bless us as we wait upon you and bless particularly the communion today Bless your people. Strengthen us. Strengthen us, Lord, in the faith. Be with those who are sick, those who can't be here, who would want to be. Bless them in their own homes or hospital or wherever they are. Bless the sick, those, Lord, who are maybe in hospital or have been or are waiting to go. And Lord, we ask that you'll draw close to them. Be with the brokenhearted. There's a lot of brokenhearted around today. Heal, Lord, we pray. Those who miss loved ones. We can never get used to the empty place, but we pray that you'll draw especially close. Watch over us and do us good, cleansing us from our sin, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask all. Amen. <coughs> and <coughs> so, um, before we read, just a, a wee word uh, to the young folk. Um, our oldest grandson, he's, he's only he's coming five in, in September, he'll be going to school in the summer. And I've mentioned this before, but he, he's an obsession with planes. And he, I don't know any sky scanner like him because he will spot a plane when, you know, he'll say, oh, look at the plane, Pap, and you're, you're, you're just searching the sky. And it's, he says, oh, there is no plane. There is. And sure enough, there is. It just, he seems to have this ability to, to find planes. And I often take him down to the airport, and he loves to see planes take off and land and all that. And one day, he was out, and he says, oh, listen, there's a plane. And you could hear the plane. It must have been one of those, maybe a single-engine plane, a wee plane. And there was an awful noise from it, but you couldn't see it. The house was blocking it. It must have been flying very low. And he was saying, where is it? Where is it? And I was looking, and I says, I don't know. And then he says, ah, it's going the wrong way. And I said, well, no, it won't be going the wrong way. It's just because you can't, because he couldn't see it. 
he thought it's going the wrong way and I thought you know that that's really like life because unless things are going the way we want them to go or the way we expect them to go we say oh it's going the wrong way but it isn't um, Jacob said that at one time he said all these things are against me he looked at life and he said everything's against me but it wasn't God was actually yes there was a lot of difficult things coming in Jacob's life but actually it wasn't all against him God was actually working it all together in a wonderful way and we've got to remember that although for a time it might seem that it's, it's going the wrong way but in the end, it's going to be going the right way. And then a little later, another plane. And he shouted to me, Papa, look, a plane. And I was doing something, and I just gave a week and a glance. I went, oh, I, and that was it. Papa, he said, look with your face. <laughs> so I had to turn around and say, oh, yes, yes, there's, there's the plane. And I thought, you know, that's, that's so good. Because that's what we're doing today. We are coming to the communion. We're coming to the Bible. And Jesus is really saying to us, look with your face. In other words, don't have a wee just glance. But look steady. Look right closely at Jesus. And that's what it's all about. That we don't just have a wee glance or a wee think about. Jesus is so important that we've got to look at him and study him and listen to him and learn about him and today that's what we're going to be really coming in to look at is what Jesus has done for us and why he's done it for us so we give thanks for Jesus so remember that even when things aren't working for you and you say they're going the wrong way not always and remember most importantly look, look at Jesus we're now going to read God's word and we're going to turn to the, uh, the letter of Titus, Paul's letter of Titus and chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, just a short chapter. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything 
they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous of good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. And may God bless this reading of his own holy word. I'm going to sing again from Sing Psalms, uh, this time in Psalm number 61. Psalm 61 and Sing Psalms. <coughs> and we're going to sing verses 1 to 7. O oh, hear my urgent cry, my God, and listen to my plea. From earth's remotest bounds I call when my heart faints in me. O God, conduct me to the rock that's higher far than I. For you're my refuge from the foe, my tower of strength on high. Psalm 61, and we sing verses 1 to 7. O hear my urgent cry, my God.
turn back to the chapter we read in Titus, Titus in chapter 2. <coughs> <coughs> And reading at verse 13, Titus chapter 2. Waiting, it says, for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Paul had a special bond with Titus, just like he had a special bond with Timothy. And it would appear that uh, Titus had been uh, brought to faith uh, through Paul's ministry, just like uh, Timothy. And uh, there's always a special bond between somebody who is instrumental, is used by God uh, to lead a person to faith. There will always be a kind of a lifelong bond. And it would appear that uh, Titus was a, a fellow worker with Paul. We read about that in Second Corinthians, that he was working with Paul. And so there would be a special bond uh, developed when you, are, when you go through any deep experiences with any person. When you're involved with another person, it, it develops a bond. And uh, the deeper the experiences that you share with anybody, the deeper that bond becomes. Uh, my dad, like an awful lot of like of others uh, during the war, he was on the destroyers and in the Arctic convoys. And right until his death, there was a group that had sailed together, had been together, that had come through the war, and they used to meet up regularly. And uh, they weren't they weren't all Christians, but there was a bond that they had formed through very difficult and very sore and trying times but that bond where they were dicing with death and such like was a lifelong bond and they used to meet up for a meal every so often into their 80s because it created that uh, the deep experiences they went through and you find that in life that these experiences you share with people become lifelong so it was so it was with with Paul and and with Titus now this letter that Paul writes is a very practical letter and he's writing, say for instance in verse 12, he's telling us how to live, to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age and that's not always easy because you say to yourself, oh well Paul it might have been easier maybe a generation ago to live this kind of uh, that, that way to live this self-controlled upright and godly life but he says in this present age and when Paul wrote that that age was just as difficult as the age that we're living in because the church was experiencing a lot of opposition and a lot of persecution so we've got to remember that this is our age this is the age we're living in and God's word applies irrespective of what age it is God's word is timeless and so this is for us just as much as it was in the days of, of Titus. And we are to be, as the Bible says, living letters, living epistles that people will read. You know that loads of people today, they don't own a Bible, they've never opened a Bible, they've no idea what God's Word is saying. So God's people 
in this world have to bear testimony. We have to, we have to reflect what God's word says. Now that often challenges people, particularly in the day we're living in, where people don't like to hear truth. People don't like to have any idea that they are sinners. The concept of sin, they don't. And if there's no idea of uh, sin, then there's no need for a saviour. You see, there's all these kind of things. So God's people, there's a huge responsibility upon us. And often it comes at a cost. Whereas, not that we go out to deliberately annoy people or deliberately challenge people, but where it, where it opens up naturally. So we've got to remember the responsibilities that are placed upon us. And we've got to remember that when God saves us, yes, he saves us to eventually to be with him forever in, in glory, but he also saves us to, to serve him here in this world, to live for him in this world, to, to share in the great and glorious good news of the gospel. But we see it at verse 12 that we are to live in this manner, and as we said, self-controlled, upright, godly, and so on. But we're to do so with an eye upon something. Because we're told this in verse 13, that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour. You see, we live out our days, present days, every day like this living, but we do so... Yes, looking around, fixing our eyes upon what's happening. But you know, there's a kind of a, an upward glance all the time. Not just an upward glance, a looking. And we're looking for something special. We're looking and we're waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus. And you know, that's what separates the Christian from the non-Christian. Today we come and we we think of fencing the table and as we go along in a sense we will be fencing the table. That's what we're doing because when we fence the table we're giving marks of the Christian. And here's a big mark. The Christian is looking for the return of Jesus and not just looking for it but longing. Today you're saying to yourself, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful? Now let's be honest. There are days and I'll confess it too, that I would say, oh Lord, don't come today. Because sometimes we feel so unready, we feel so sinful, we feel so wrong. But often we're saying, Lord, I'll return. Because we're seeing the way things are and we're longing, we're longing. So, as it says in the book of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. That's what the Christian is able to say. Non-Christian doesn't. Non-Christian isn't thinking like that. So that's one of the areas which separates the Christian from the non-Christian. And so we, the Christian is somebody who has this great hope. That's what it says, waiting for our blessed hope. We mentioned hope last night. And the Christian hope is a wonderful thing. And you know, those outside Christ don't have hope. That's what the Bible tells us. That they're without God and without hope in this world and that's a terrible place to be with no hope and people don't often realize it but that's where you are outside Christ you don't have a hope you see the Christian is somebody who's looking forward the world in a sense has nothing to look forward to yes they might have an event next week or the next year or something they say oh I'm really looking forward to that yeah but the Christian can look way beyond that to the return of Jesus. The Christian is looking forward and says, you know this, when I die, 
I'm going to be with Jesus, which is far better. And so there's, this is a great difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Because the non-Christian has only got this world and what this world has given. And at the end of the day, they have to leave everything behind, no matter what they've achieved, no matter what they've attained, no matter what they've got. Got to leave it all behind. Indeed, this world, we're told, is going to melt with fervent heat. That's why the Christian has something that the non-Christian doesn't have. And that's why we're, we're waiting with this great sense of hope. Now, of course, the return of Jesus, as we said, should occupy our thinking. And we know that the future of Jesus' coming is tied in with his first coming into this world. Now, when Jesus came into the world the first time, he achieved everything that was given him to do. That's why on the cross he said, it is finished. But with regard to the, the whole concept of salvation which involves other things, which involves our body in the grave and all these things, Jesus has to return because he's got more work to do. He accomplished everything that was given to him to do in the first time. As we said on the cross, he said, it is finished. But with regard to the whole scheme, the everything that is involved, he has to come again. And we're thankful for that. And so he is going to come again. Because, as we said, there's still, still things to be done. And you know, when he comes again, it's going to be so different to the first time. Because when he came first time, he was, it's like he slipped into the world quietly. Nobody really knew, very, very few. There was an announcement by the, the angels to the shepherds, the wise men, and so on. But apart from that, people didn't know. It's going to be so different when he returns. The very universe is going to reverberate. Every eye will see him. He will return in his glory with the holy angels. It will be the most awesome spectacle the world has ever seen. The world didn't see the glory of Christ last time. Oh, they will this time. And it's an, it's an incredible concept of what will happen. As we see, every eye will see. And the thing is that this is a Jesus that every knee has to bow before at one time or at, at, at a particular time. And now it tells us here that this, uh, the great God and Savior, now that's not two persons. Yes, there's the great God, the Father, but there's, this is the great God, the second person of, the, of the, the Godhead. That's what it says here, great God and Savior. And so from start to finish, everything is of God. It's from God, it's by God, it's, it's of God. And your believing and my believing, the reason that you're here today is of God. Salvation isn't something that you worked up yourself. It isn't something that the church that we have, the church of Jesus Christ, isn't a discovery that man made. You know that in the history of this world, a lot of wonderful discoveries have been made that have changed the world. The likes of... Uh, penicillin and electricity and all these things there's a host of things the world has been changed through the brilliant discoveries that have been made by people but this salvation is not a brilliant discovery that has been made by people or it hasn't been or there's a group of great minds have come together and they said right we've got to work out a way how do we get back to God and the best minds the best theological minds in the world have come together and they said this is what we'll do this is how we get back that's not the way 
It is because God has revealed it to us. He has shown it to us. The whole initiative has begun with God. It's all of grace. It's all by God and done by God. And that's a wonderful thing here. And the tragedy today is that millions of people reject this. They, they, won't, they won't listen to it. They won't hear what, what, what has been shown here. So the whole initiative is by God. We love God today. Why? Because he first loved us. You can't work up that love yourself. You can't say, you know, one day, you know what? Today I'm going to become a Christian because I'm the love of God. Now if you just do that yourself, then that's not, that love won't last won't last a minute but the love that God gives us is a love that remains and despite all the ups and downs and all the times that we might run away and all the toing and froing and everything he continues to love us and we love him <coughs> don't love him with the same intention and same intent all the time sometimes we're conscious of that love other times we're not and sometimes we feel we don't love him. Not only that we don't love him as we should, but we wonder, do we love him at all? Do you know this? I believe as a Christian here, you'd probably say to yourself, and you look around at others in the church, other Christians, and you say, ah, all of them love the Lord more than I do. And you might be saying, you know, all of them see the way of salvation better than I do. And you might be saying to yourself, you know, that I look around and I think they see Jesus far better than I do. But that's normal. That's, that's often how we feel. And sometimes people say, I have a real difficulty in understanding. How do I see Jesus? Well, it's in the Word. When we come into the Word, we're seeing Jesus. Because He is the Word. And so we find here that this is, this is who we come. And then we read there that it says about this, uh, this great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. You know, that's a wonderful thing about what Jesus did. This is what God did. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus gave himself. You know, if we could go right back into eternity, and the Father is saying to the Son, Son, this is what is to happen. You, at a particular point, are to take human nature, not just the appearance, but you are to come by way of birth. Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary. And you are going to take human nature and be born into this world the way that any human is born. And you will have a human nature, which you will always have. And you will have a, your divine nature, the two natures in the one person. And you say to yourself, oh, hold on, that's really hard. I can't quite understand that. No, neither can I. Because the Bible tells us it's a mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness, Christ appearing or manifest in the flesh. But you know what? Faith believes it. Faith lay holds upon it and says, yeah, that's true. And this is what has happened. So the Father says to the Son, this is what I want you to do. But it's not going to be easy. Because everywhere you go, fake news is going to be spread about you. And that's what happened in the life of Jesus. He was, wherever he went, he said, oh, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. These miracles, it's by the power of the devil he does it. And so, the, and those who were most support, supposed to support him, 
the religious leaders, they turned against him. And even his immediate followers were going to forsake him. So Jesus' life and is, is all. I give God's love is extraordinary. Because remember, love, love gives. We often think of love as, you know, the sort of thing that we can, we look at love with regard to our senses, about what we hear. I love that bit of music. Or you say to yourself, I love the sound of waves crashing on the rocks. Or you say to yourself, I, I love, it's love what you see. I love that sunset. I love, love that painting. I love the smell. I love the smell of freshly cut grass. All these, we tend to use these expressions of love in, the, in regarding our senses. But you know, love, love rolls its sleeves up and gets hurt and gets dirty. Love can be very, very challenging and difficult. If, for instance, you were to say, see that tramp over there? He throws stones at me. He hates me. Every time I pass him, he curses me. But I love him. And you'd say, whoa, you love him? But it's not that kind of love that feels like it's a love that wants to do good and a love that does good. And that's God's love to us because we hated God when he loved us. We were rebels against God. We loved sin. We were sinners. We are sinners. You know, that's the problem with, within our whole life is that we're, our whole way is towards sin. Have you ever tried, uh, bowl, not, not your ten-pin bowling, but your, your bowls, lawn bowls? Well, I remember the first time I ever went to have a game of bowls. And I didn't realize the way that a bowl went. Because you had a wee white, I can't remember what you called, but way down the other end, you put this wee white ball. And you've got to try and get the, your, the other guy has four, four bowls. You have four bowls each. And you've got to try and get them as close as possible to this white thing there. Well, I remember the first time, and the ball went way over the other side. I thought, what happened there? Because I thought I'd thrown it straight. But I didn't realize that within the bowl, there is this bias, this thing that it, it, it goes that way. When you put it straight, unless you put it at a fearful speed, but if you just roll it. So you have to learn to, to roll it in a way in which it comes in. And you know, that's the way we are with sin. Because we're going like that all the time. We can't go straight. We're on a, going that direction towards sin all the time. And God loves us despite that. That's why he sent his son to get us to go straight. That's what this verse is all about. About living this upright life. Living to deal with the lawlessness, the sin that's within us. That's why God has loved us and sent his son into this world. To deal with these things that we can't deal with, our, with ourselves. And so we read in the, in the Bible that this is what God is. And that Jesus he gave himself. All the time we read about this, about him, him giving himself, giving of himself. He loved the church and gave himself for it, for us. He gave, he gave, he gave. And he gave all the way to death. And we've always got to remember that Jesus went to the cross because he gave himself. If we went to the garden... Remember when Jesus went to the garden with the disciples and the crowd came to take him. All these soldiers, they came to take him. 
And Peter, being Peter's first thing, oh, he says, oh, they've come for Jesus. Pulls out the sword. And he's going to defend Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Peter, put, put the sword away. I could call right now on 12 legions of angels. Now, when you go through the Bible and you see sometimes God sent an angel. An angel destroyed an army of 100,000 one night. Just like that. And Jesus said, I could call on 12 legions of angels. It would have obliterated these people in a second. But Jesus said, I'm not going to. Put away your sword. This is part of the giving. This is Jesus giving of himself. And so Jesus says, and remember when they said uh, that they had come, and he said, who is it that you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And remember what he said. He said, I, uh, I am he. And there's a beautiful thing he said. Here am I, but let these go. These were his disciples. Here am I, let these go. And you know when we read these words re recorded for us that Jesus said way back, he's still saying the same thing today. That's what he's saying to the Father about you and about me. Here am I. Punish me. I'll take the I'll take everything they deserve on myself. But let them go free. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what we're remembering today. And we should never ever lose sight of the fact that we are free today because because of Jesus, where Jesus said, Here am I, take me. And again, going back to that, when they said, who is it you seek? He said, I, I am. And remember what happened. They all fell backward to the ground. Here are these tough soldiers. And there was at that moment, as it were, a glimpse of the glory of who Jesus really is. And not one of them could stand in his presence. At a moment, they all fell backwards to the ground. And then it was just a flashing glimpse. They regrouped, they came back. And Jesus, of course, he gave himself. And it's incredible that people dismiss this. They look on Jesus as just an ordinary person. And yes, he was an ordinary person, but he was still the Son of God. And people forget that one day they're going to have to stand before. Not the Jesus, yes, the same Jesus who gave himself in the garden. But it's not going to be, it's going to be the glory. It's a glorious Jesus. And when we see that glorious Jesus in the Bible, we see, for instance, Isaiah saying he got a glimpse of the glory. Oh, I said, woe is me, for I'm undone. Ezekiel got a glimpse of the glory and he fell on his face. The glory of God appeared at the dedication of the temple in the time of Solomon. The priests couldn't stand. When Saul of Tarsus was going to Damascus and the glory of Jesus appeared, he fell on his face. When John got a glimpse and revelation of the glory of Jesus, he fell down as one dead. And that's who we are to appear before. Because we're all to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he will be altogether glorious then. So it's a, it's a quite, quite a thought. And so we read then, and tells us who gave himself, why did he give? To redeem us from all lawlessness. Now that word 
redeem. Redemption is all the way through the Bible. All the way from, from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus, J- Jacob talks when he was blessing his grandsons, J- Joseph's boys. He talks about how the angel of the covenant, of course, that was the Lord, how he redeemed him. God tells Moses at the time, you remember when uh, the, 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 the Israel were to be taken out of Egypt. He said that he was going to redeem his people. Job talks about, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Go right all the way through to the book of Revelation. And we see there also, we see about the blood, tells us there about the blood, that you, through the blood you have redeemed your people. And that's what God is doing. To redeem is to buy back what once belonged to you. And that's who we were in the beginning. We were made by God in the image of God. You and I know the story of how we lost that. How, that, how through Adam we, we lost everything. You know, sometimes we don't grasp just how much we lost. Remember in the Catechism it says that uh, with regard to the, the fall, that, uh, we, we, that there's the corruption of the whole nature. That... Uh, we have this original what we would say original sin and the corruption of the whole nature everything about us has gone wrong and that's, that's what happened right at the very beginning right at the, at the fall and so this is what God has done he's come to redeem us to buy us back and that's what Jesus has done now again to redeem you buy back so there's a cost involved And what is that cost? Well, that's Jesus, the death of Jesus. And again, we're told, for instance, in Isaiah, that the the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's without money and without price. In other words, we don't have the money, we don't have the resources. You could take all the wealth in the world and it wouldn't buy back. There is only one way that we can be bought back, and that is through the death of of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what we're remembering today that's what you're, you're here today to do and again if you're, if you're one of the Lord's people you're, as we said earlier with regard to the, the idea of fencing and displaying who the Lord's people are you're waiting for the return of the Lord, not waiting idly you know sometimes waiting can be one of the most difficult monotonous things you're waiting a bus. You're waiting somebody to come. No, this is like, here's a family member that you love and has gone abroad. Been away for ages. He, she, she's coming back. And you're waiting. You're counting down. You're looking forward every single day. I can't wait until he, he comes back, she comes back. Well, in a sense, that's how it is. We're waiting with expectancy. We're waiting, not idly, but waiting, looking. Is that who you are? If you are, then your place is at the table. And if you haven't come to that place, well, I would urge you today. Today's a very special day. Because we've got to remember that Jesus is here. Jesus is where his people are gathered. And especially at the table, because he is the one who has prepared the table. It's his idea for us, for the church. And he says, I want you to come and Eat and drink at this table to remember me. 
So if you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, today is the best opportunity ever. And if you already have come, but you wandered away, today's a day to say to the Lord, Lord, I need to get back. Lord, will you rekindle that fire that was there? Because the ashes, you might not see it, but the ashes are still smoldering. The Lord can see they're still still a little flicker you might not see it yourself others might not see the flicker but it's there ask the Lord to fan the flame again and that you'll once again take your place with the Lord's people this is, this is a wonderful thing and so as we prepare uh, to come to the Lord's table I want us to read we'll read in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5 before we sing we'll just read a few verses here in Galatians chapter 5 where it, it tells us something about uh, there's two lots of walking there's walking in the flesh and walking by the spirit but I say Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to if you are led by the spirit you're not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the, that's the those who walk by the flesh and who walk by the Spirit. But you know, those who walk by the Spirit are very aware also of the flesh. Because sadly the flesh is not waved bye-bye. The flesh is still active within. But there is a more powerful principle at work. The principle of God's Spirit. And so we're seeking to walk. And so there's this desire. If you have this desire to walk. To walk in a way that pleases God. Then it's God who gives you that desire. It's not, it's not something you worked up yourself. That's a God-given desire. We're going to sing now, and we're going to sing from Psalm 118. And if there's anybody present who's from another congregation, who's a member in good standing, then do take your place at the Lord's table, because it is uh, the Lord's table. And, uh, of course, the elements are already here, so we're going to sing in preparation for that from Psalm 118, verses 17 to 25, and that's from the Scottish Psalter. I shall not die, but live, and shall the works of God discover. The Lord hath me chastised sore, but not to death given over. Who said ye open unto me the gates of righteousness, then shall I enter into them, and I, the Lord, will bless. And so on, Psalm 118, verses 17 to 25. I shall not die, but live, and shall. Amen.
going to read uh, our warrant, which we find in 1 Corinthians. We read at chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world, and so on. We read of how the Lord prayed that night, and we will seek to do likewise. (coughs) Lord our God, we give thanks for this moment. It's a special moment. A moment in time, but a moment that is with the backdrop of eternity. A moment when we reflect upon what our Savior has done, and indeed what our Savior is yet to do. We give thanks, Lord, for saving us. We weren't worthy of it. All the worthiness is in you. And we pray that you will bless us. Bless young and old here today. Bless those who look on. Bless the children, maybe, who are wondering just exactly what is happening. And that is good, because that's the way you've set it up, and the same as with the Passover. Because we're told there that when your children will ask what you're doing. And so, Lord, we pray that parents may indeed teach. Teach. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray then that you will bless us. And as we set aside these symbols of bread and wine, everyday things, for our holy use, We ask, Lord, that we may eat and we may drink spiritually, recognizing that Jesus is our Lord, recognizing what he has done personally for us. Touch us, Lord, at the very center of our being. May your Holy Spirit minister to us, and may we know your peace and presence. Lord, do us good, and take away from us our every sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Before we actually take of the bread and drink of the, the wine, uh, just to say two or three things. We're remembering Jesus. When we're here, it's all about Jesus. First thing we do, and I'm not saying anything, you all know all these things already. We remember Jesus. In life, at different times, we remember different things about different people. And I know we live in a digital age, and maybe we don't have so many photographs as we used to have. But often, certainly I remember when I was younger, every so often the box of photos would be taken out. And we would look and we would look at family photos. We'd look at photos of people. And when we looked at them, we'd remember them. Now, Jesus wants us to remember him. And we would say to ourselves, as Christians, of course we'll remember. We'll never forget Jesus. Sadly, far too often we do. And that's why we have our communion, special times, where we're going to really remember him. Remember who he is, remember why he came, remember what he did, and remember that it was done personally for you. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we obey Jesus, because it's a command. Do this. It's not according to how we feel, because sometimes when we come to the Lord's table, we can feel rotten spiritually. We can feel sinful and unclean and we say, ah, you know, we shouldn't be here. But that's not, it's not, we don't come according to how we feel. 
but we come according to obedience. And the third thing, this is the last thing I'll say before we have the communion, we come to have communion with Jesus. Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, I want to come in and to sup with you. And you with me. And you see, we've got to remember, it's special to Jesus because we are his possession. We read about that. We belong to him in a special way. He loves us more than we can even begin to understand. And when we have communion with him, we have communion with one another. And you remember that the person sitting behind you or beside you, Jesus loved so much that he gave his life, not just for you, but for everybody else that's here who loves him. So it's communion, yes, with him, but communion also with one another. And so we read there that on that night, and when he had given thanks and broke bread, he said, this is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. And it says, in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he come. We were... Before we took of the bread and wine, we thought about remembering Jesus, about obeying Jesus, and about communing with Jesus. Three other things were thanking Jesus. When somebody does something really nice for you or good for you, it's obvious you want to thank them. Thank you very much. And that's what we're doing just now. We're saying to Jesus, more than that, but we're saying thank you very much. And we mean it. We really mean it within our heart. It gives us an opportunity to stop and focus upon him and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. We also witness for Jesus. When you take that bread and you take that wine, you are making a statement, a loud, clear statement, and you're saying to everybody, Jesus belongs to me. I belong to Jesus. Jesus and I we're one together. It's one of the clearest statements. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I'm a very poor witness. You're not a poor witness when you're at the table. It's a very clear statement. You're witnessing to the fact that you believe in Jesus. You believe in every claim that Jesus made. And it should make people think, particularly if you... Uh, <clears throat> at the table, and maybe there are others of your family that are. When a person becomes a Christian, a statement is made. But one of the loudest statements ever is when we're at the table. And finally, we don't just thank Jesus, and we don't just witness for Jesus, we expect Jesus. We've been mentioning that before, we're waiting for Jesus to come, we're expecting him. We remember we showed how the two, he came, to bring this salvation. But he's coming again to finish the final aspects of salvation. There are things that 
weren't to be done in the first part. And he's coming again. And we want to wait for him and expect him. And I think it's going to be a sign of the church that they're not really expecting. Jesus tells us in the Bible certain things about his return. And one of them is that people aren't going to be expecting him. It's going to come all of a sudden. And he says, just like the days before the flood, they were marrying and giving in marriage, they were eating and drinking, just, it was normal, normal times. And then all of a sudden, the, the flood. He said, it's going to be like that when I come. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be just, there's going to be such normality. And often the church is pictured as not being maybe expecting ready. So that's what we should be doing today, expecting the return of Jesus. There should be an element of anticipation within our hearts. Even so come, Lord Jesus. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would appeal to you. As I said just before, today is a perfect day to ask Jesus into your heart and say, even so come, Lord Jesus. I don't know what's holding you back. You know yourself. But there's obviously things holding you back. Ask the Lord to take you over these obstacles, these things that are hindering you. And I ask a special blessing to be upon the young people who are watching today. It's a wonderful thing to look and to be part of the Lord's Supper. And I pray that you, when you get a little older, and come to understand what is happening, that you too will be able to take the bread and the wine. We're going to sing in Psalm 103, uh, from the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 103. I'll sing four verses. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Psalm 103, we sing verses uh, 1 to 5, four stanzas. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord.
pray. Lord, we give thanks for our communion service this morning. We pray that the blessing of being together, the blessing of obeying you, the blessing of remembering you, the blessing of thanking you, the blessing of waiting for you, the blessing of witnessing for you, of having communion with you. We pray that this will be a blessing that will go down deep into our hearts, into our souls, enrich us through it. May we become more obedient to you. We ask you, Lord, to help us and go with us. Bless every home and every family represented here. We pray for those who looked on that it won't be long till they'll take their place at your table. We pray, Lord, for any that it might be their last time, because we don't know uh, whether it will be our last time on earth till we meet in heaven and that we will see you face to face. There will come a day we don't need the symbols anymore because we will be in your immediate presence and will be like you. Most amazing words in Scripture. Help us then, O Lord, and do us good and be with us and part us with your blessing forgiving us our every sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We're going to conclude our service singing in the last three verses of Psalm 72, the well-known words, His name forever shall endure, last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in Him, and blessed all nations shall Him call. Last three verses, His name forever shall endure. the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore.